It's Wednesday, February 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Fund, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks. It's a new studio, as you've told your the several does, yes, listeners. as I informed, <laughs> informed our several listeners uh, earlier this week, we are. I think this is our last day in this studio because Steve Broido, the man behind the glass, has been hard at work uh, overseeing the rewiring of our normal fourth floor studio, and you know, it's it's just uh, yet another example of uh, the trained eye versus the untrained eye. Because Steve, with all his technical expertise, he has the trained eye. I am completely ignorant about wiring, many, things. many things, wiring and technology among them. And so I went in the studio on Monday, and it basically appeared to me like, well, there's a lot of boxes and wires and equipment everywhere, and I'm just going to be in the way if I'm standing here. So I'm, I'm going to leave. And when I talked to Steve later, he's like, boy, doesn't the studio look great? And Steve's automatically referring to the updated equipment and all that sort of thing. And I, I was just sort of like, well, I, I guess. <laughs> like, you you know better than I do because you, so you're promising the listeners a much better experience. Oh, on, on no, 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 no. I'm, I'm promising our listeners the same old podcast that we always Are there do. Are going to be like new sound effects and stuff? Like no, no. It's, boing, uh, it's you, uh, know, you know, when you do something particularly wacky. We'll move to the actual topics in a second because ultimately where this is leading is, um, yeah, as far as I know, in terms of listenership, this, this is not really going to do anything to enhance the audio. It is, however, um, going to remove a lot of the wiring that is in the studio. So It's a way for the company to spend some money. And it's a way for our company to spend some money. Um, let's get to the stories of the day. We'll talk Chipotle's latest results. We'll talk Sony shares up big today. But we will start with the Walt Disney Company. Speaking of things that are up big today, first quarter profits and revenue both higher than expected. CEO Bob Iger kind of hitting the nail on the head when he when he called it quote yet another incredibly strong quarter. Was was anything bad? All divisions saw their operating income up. It, it was it was a hell of a quarter, and apparently there's some small chance that my children are going to be. Uh, able to go to college because I have <laughs> some shares of, of Disney in each of their college accounts. And uh, that's the one hope, I think, that <laughs> the Barker children are going to be able to afford to go to college is Disney. So keep it up, Bob. Uh, great quarter all around, uh, especially on the uh, merchandise side. Uh, we've spoken here uh, before of uh, the Frozen costumes. Um, I think we've limited most of our discussion to the sexy Olaf costume. Right. Which is actually, I'm sure, not sold by Disney. Uh, but that all the Disney, you know, the, 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 the Halloween merchandise, the Christmas merchandise, Frozen just goes on. And, and uh, it, it's, that's part of the story. The, the parks are up. I mean, the economy is good, so that's good for the parks. Um, and boy, do they have a year in front of them. In the theaters, we will get to the year ahead of them in in just a second. But two things I want to touch on, just to give specific numbers, um, up forty six percent. The 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 consumer products division operating income up forty six percent. That is such a massive number. Well, and it, and for anyone who looks at Frozen and and thinks either I'm tired of this movie, I'm tired of these songs. Disney shareholds absolutely not tired of Frozen. Yeah, get used to it. I think because you're going to hear the song some more, <laughs> and you're going to hear 
you're going to see the characters more. And uh, I mean, Frozen is is a nice part of the this one quarter and, and what Disney's doing right now. But it's it's so uh, expansive what they're doing on on television and in, in the theaters and at the parks and uh, with ESPN that uh, don't don't give all the credit to Frozen. No, definitely not giving all the credit to Frozen. Although I think you mentioned ESPN, there there was a time not too long ago where ESPN was the crown jewel. ESPN and the television networks, but particularly ESPN was the crown jewel in the Disney Empire because for a while the the parks were struggling a little bit, studios uh, not always doing all that great. ESPN is. Um, I don't want to say it's performing badly because it's not, no. although it is dealing with slightly higher programming costs and it is dealing with slightly lower ad revenue. So it's, I, I guess it's a slightly smaller golden goose. Yeah, as a percentage of the whole business, but they're experimenting with the, the over-the-top stuff and, and they, will, they will be where your eyes are as a sports viewer. Uh, wherever that ends up migrating to ESPN is going to be in, in right in the middle of it. I mean, you, we were all, I'm sure, watching the Australian Open constantly over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm talking about tennis here, right? Did you watch? I, I did not watch. I know oh. you're a big tennis fan, so I know you were watching. but And millions of others, no doubt. Maybe thousands, thousands of others. Um, one other thing before we, in the morning. Before, <laughs> before we get to the year ahead for Disney, it is also interesting to see, I think, how the studios, because again, not too long ago, the studios were looked at as, well, as a percentage of revenue, it's really not that big. It's only 8 9 10%, that sort of thing. But if you look at the ripple effect of the studios, where whether it's Frozen or Pixar movies or the Avengers the ripple effect of those movies moving into moving out of the studios and into the consumer products division then you have the you know and then of course their characters at the theme parks it becomes this really amazing virtuous cycle for the business yeah and there's this little hidden gem in all that that not many people are uh, familiar with yet but it's a sort of a movie they're coming out with soon star wars right. next year <laughs> Uh, which, between throwing out Star Wars and the Avengers uh, in, in one year, boy, are we going to see some some fireworks? I think uh, for the for the company numbers. And as you say, they they translate it to the parks. They translate it to merchandise. You know, they translate it uh, onto you know other venues in in the broadcast. Uh, it, it's going to be saturation. Yeah, that's one other thing to remember about 2014 in terms of the overall movie studio business is there was not a release from Pixar in 2014. So they racked up all these numbers without having what is historically an almost guaranteed hit movie. And they didn't have that last year. Where, but where is Finding Nemo? When's that the, the sequel coming the out? The sequel to Finding Nemo, I believe, is scheduled for 2016. All right. So... Sorry, you'll have to wait, wait another year. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Chipotle, and we, we Jason. Wait, Mo- one thing. I oh, sure. To be Star Wars. We were talking about this downstairs, and I said, I think Star Wars is at the same time has got one of the hardest and easiest acts ever to follow. Name something that has as simultaneously as hard and as easy an act to follow as Star Wars, and I'm talking about sort of the first three movies and. 
the second three movies being the the easy act to follow. Yeah, I I had I jotted down in my notes when you think about the movie studios for Disney, and in 2015 we're going to have an Avengers sequel, we're going to have a new film from Pixar, another new film from Disney Animation, which has been putting out the likes of Frozen and Wreck-It Ralph and and that sort of thing. And then there will also be a Star Wars film at the end of the year. And I, uh, I just sort of jotted down in my notes, I think that, as, as bizarre as it sounds, I think that is the biggest question mark for Disney. Uh, because success is... How, n- how many billions of dollars these will all add up n- to? I, no, I think that Star Wars, I think it is not... Let me put it this way. In terms of being a hit, both critically and commercially, both of those, I think the Star Wars film is the one that has the lowest likelihood. I think it's still pretty likely, but I think it has the... I, I would bet on the Avengers sequel, the Pixar film, and the Disney animated film coming out around the holidays. I would bet on all three of those before I would bet on Star Wars because, uh, to your you know, to your point, the first Star Wars trilogy, huge success. And, and we may never see anything like it again in our lifetime. The second trilogy, all things being equal, certainly not as great as the first trilogy. And so if you're just looking at the six films, you can sort of step back and go, ah, you know, the Star Wars franchise kind of batting 500. It's not, you know, it's not, wow, these were six amazing films. No, but in, in the entirety, I think it's a, a, an amazing universe of, of things that, that's been done, not only on the, the films, but the merchandise, the books, uh, you know, the Christmas special, of course. Uh, and I, I, this is why I say it's, it's, it's both a hard act and an easy act to follow. I think J.J. Abrams is up to following the hard act uh, portion of it and is the right guy uh, to, to rescue it from the, the easy act. Not, you know, the, the most recent release, part three, I guess it was, was not as poorly received as, as the first two. So it's not entirely, you know, it's not really following up on the low point right now. But uh, people, there's a lot of expectation. There is a lot of, uh, you know, hope that this will be back to the kind of Star Wars movies that everybody loved. Let's move on to Chipotle. Uh, fourth quarter profit up 52%. Same store sales up more than 16%. They slightly missed on revenue, and the stock is down more than 7%. Is like, is that it? Is it all? Is that why there's this? It, yeah, it's, it's expectations. I think that it was trading at an all-time high at the close yesterday. It was up. Uh, about seven percent of this year, one month in. After today, it's back down to where it was a month ago. So it's sort of a round trip to, you know, it basically met expectations, and the stock had traded up it, because the last couple of quarters it blew away expectations. Right. So you've got people perhaps covering shorts or betting like just in there for that last couple of you know minutes to see if they get the pop from from the earnings, and they didn't. So they're selling today. Nothing really changed here. There are some issues, not issues so much, uh, on on the cost, uh, specifically for, for steak. This is true everywhere. Uh, the price of meat has gone up dramatically. Herds, as you know, are quite thin right now in the U.S. and are not expected to be fully back to uh, norm until 2016. So, uh, steak prices will continue to be an issue. Chipotle showed last year when it put in some cost increases that it can pass those costs along and not get any uh, you know negative hit uh, from that. 
at least it, last year it did. I think it can do it again if necessary. They're looking at that as a possibility for the middle of the year, which would help margins. So I think that this was a lot of expectation built into this report. It met most of the expectation, but you know, it's, it has to sell off if it doesn't blow away expectations. So, on a valuation basis, going into this report, did you look at Chipotle stock price and think, boy, this is priced for perfection, and anything less than perfection, it's going to drop? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I would have said that the last couple of quarters, and it, you know, came in at better than perfection kind of thing. So, it's been a, a very Pricey stock. Thankfully, we've we've owned it in um, a couple of the funds uh, that we have here uh, at, at MFAM, and uh, you know this isn't going to change anything. It's off seven percent today. That doesn't make it a bargain. You know, it's still priced. Right. It's still priced with a lot of uh, very good performance in the upcoming years priced into the stock. I think it's capable of achieving that, but I wouldn't look at today's some percent sell-off as some you know extraordinary buying opportunity. The food costs are up thirty-five percent, and obviously, I think that's probably a little bit of what we're seeing today as well. Yes, they missed ever so slightly on revenue, but I think that combined with the food costs being up thirty-five percent, which was higher than what we saw a year ago, is that a Obviously, it's it's always a question mark for any restaurant company. You know what what are your input costs and and in which direction are they going? So food costs rising that's an issue for Chipotle. But to your point about their ability to raise prices, is that is that less of a concern for Chipotle than it is for other restaurant companies in your mind? Simply because they have demonstrated at least most recently that they can raise prices. Yeah, I mean, I think the recent proof is positive for those worrying about that. Uh, you and I were at Chipotle when? Monday? Monday. Yeah, wasn't that long ago. Uh, just don't even really think about whether oh, prices have gone up 30 cents as they may to, to cover the meat. Uh, so I, I think that is generally within the uh, industry an issue, and not everybody has the same sort of pricing power that Chipotle has. Very few do. Uh, so I'm I'm not too worried about that. I I would just say that this uh, one of the reasons I think it has sold off is that the guidance on same store sales is is mid to high single digits going forward. It's been coming in at it came in at 16% comps again this quarter. I, I think it came in at 16.3 and 16.7 was the consensus expectation. So it basically met them. But if you want to look for some you know miss, you could kind of find it in there. But then to say oh, our comps for the coming year are going to be mid to high single digits. That sounds bad uh, when you're used to mid-teens. Chipotle has a history of guiding low uh, at the beginning of the year and then, you know, sort of being mildly happy with how things are going better than they guided. Uh, So that's what uh, investors at this price have to hope is actually that the mid to high single digit comps are something that the the company will easily clear. Last question on Chipotle, and then we'll move on. Stephen Ells, Monty Moran, they have done, uh, by all accounts, a wonderful job of guiding this business over uh, over their tenure as co-CEOs. And because of that, there has not been any sort of significant drumbeat from analysts 
regarding the Asian concept shop house and the pizzeria locale concept. And specifically, there has not been any drumbeat from analysts about when are you going to start rolling these out. Chipotle has been very conservative about opening up new locations for Chipotle's, and that has worked very well for them. But I am wondering if they put up another couple of quarters like this that are good, very good, you know, maybe even great, but but less than perfect, do you think we will start to see that drumbeat? Because uh, I, I, as much as I trust those guys and the job they do running this company, I am still mildly surprised that in early 2015, there are not significantly more shop house restaurants I don't in think, major cities. I don't think they've, they've really had the kind of success with shop house that, that they would have hoped for. Uh, if you've, have you been to one? No. It, it, they're not crowded. Uh, D.C. is one of the areas where there, there are several. Uh, there's one in Bethesda. There are a couple in D.C. And it, it, I've had the food. It's good. But they're not crowded. They're not like Chipotle. You're not, in my experience, in the kind of Chipotle lines that there always are at, at peak hours. So I don't think that just because they are the same guys doing it and they've modeled the restaurant on the same sort of concept as Chipotle, that that has translated into consumers' minds into, I have to go, you know, have have you been to Shot House? It, it's just not, they're not getting the same returns on the restaurants so far. The pizza thing, they've kept very small. I don't know, there were national headlines because they were opening one outside right. of, of Denver, and this was a story, and you could find, if you're paying attention to the business media the way we do, it, it seemed like the smallest story in the world, and yet it was it was everywhere. So there, the outside world is, is waiting with bated breath on these things more than the company is pushing the idea. See, I hadn't really thought about that before, but now, so now that, hearing what you just said, now I'm thinking if I'm an analyst on the next conference call, I'm, I'm not just thinking, when are you going to start rolling these out? Now I'm also thinking, well, wait a minute, if you're not rolling these out, then what's wrong? What's wrong with the business? What, what haven't you figured out yet? that has enabled you to say, oh, we've got the shop house business right where we want it. Now we're going to start rolling them out. I don't know if, if they're doing anything wrong or if Chipotle just got to something right before everybody else. Because you see a lot of burrito places that, that say, well, we can do what Chipotle is doing uh, and we can do it with a bigger menu and we can do it a little differently. And we, you know, if they're making all this money, we know how to make a good burrito too. We can use organic products. And and they're they're going nowhere, you know, the Bolocos of the world, and 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 so even for Chipotle to say we look at what we're doing, we'll extend it, sounds easy, but I, you know the consumer may just have ascribed all of the magic uh, that there is to to Chipotle, and not really be that interested in other burrito places or other things that Chipotle might do. Shares of Sony up more than 11% this morning, not on earnings, but on new and improved guidance for the fiscal year. And by improved, what I mean is that Sony came out and said, we think we're only going to lose $1.4 billion this fiscal year. How troubled is this business that the stock is rising this much on news that they're only going to lose $1.4 billion? Well, I 
I think it's a business that that just doesn't have anything that compelling, you know, to offer. It, it's it's become sort of a commodity thing. And I think once upon a time, Sony had TV sets that that were seen to be better than the competitors, and uh, PlayStation had some marginal edge at, at certain times when when it had the latest uh, upgrade to its operating consoles and things like that. And now they're just in pretty tough competition, you know, for both TV sets and, and uh, you know, cell phones and, and the PlayStations. And, and you know, they're, they're a competitor, a decent competitor in all these things. Uh, but they've, they've addressed, they're doing some cost cutting. I think that was important. That's probably what people are, are looking at right now is uh, it, it's really not trading that low. Uh, it's it's the ADR anyway is at a you know a 52 week high right now so uh, it's not as if it's it's bumping up off the bottom but uh, you know they've got a long term cost cutting job ahead of themselves I think if you think about Sony and why it has been in the headlines over the last few months because of the hack and the movie the interview and whether or not they were going to pull it from theaters and all that sort of thing. And if you think about Disney being in the headlines recently, one of the big headlines about Disney had um, nothing to do with Frozen. It had everything to do with measles outbreaks at the theme parks. And I'm curious, as an analyst, how do you separate headline risk from genuine risk? Because I think that investors could look at either of those businesses at either of those times and say, boy, you know, a measles outbreak in the parks, that, you know, that could be a legitimate problem, particularly as people are starting to plan spring break and, and summer vacations, that sort of thing. And in the case of Sony, you could look at it and think, gosh, everything's going to hell and their entire, you know, their entire company's been hacked. How do you separate headline risk from genuine risk? Well, they both seem more like one-time events, right? Uh, that is, Measles don't intrinsically seem to be the kind of thing that one would most likely find at, at Disneyland, right? It, and if there's an outbreak there, that's a, a very odd occurrence that you don't think, well, that's because they're not keeping the place clean enough over there. I mean, they do a pretty good job keeping everything clean. Uh, the hack was obviously, or seemed obvious that's a one-time thing. Obviously, they've got to repair the, the damage that's been done there. Uh, whereas something like uh, you know, 9-11 and the hit to the all the travel industry at that time seemed like, well, this this is not just, we're not just talking about one place that the people aren't going to go to Disney World. They're not going to get on cruises. They're not going to get into planes. And that was true, you know, that people took a while to get back to their old habits. I, I don't think, although there may be people that don't go to Disneyland this week or this month uh, because of the headlines, I don't think that's going to be True, three weeks from now. Yeah, I guess in the case of Sony, I I hear what you're saying about it being a one-time event, and yet certainly the hack we're talking the about the hack. Yeah. Um, as as the emails started to come out, I, I looked at that, and I don't own shares of Sony, and I wasn't necessarily looking to buy shares. But I looked at that, and particularly the emails where you have executives at Sony just saying not very nice things about directors, about actors, that sort of thing. And I looked at that as potentially having a long-term negative effect, that 
actors and directors could say, you know what, I, if, if that's how you feel about me behind closed doors, I'll just go to another studio and I'll, I'll make my movie there. Right. No, I, I think that I wasn't thinking about that part, but I think that that can be cured with money. <laughs> I mean, not to be too cynical about it, but don't you think? You know, if like, oh, your feelings are that hurt, you know, we'll pay you a little bit. We'll more. add another zero to, the, we'll to, add, or, to your paycheck? Or, or we'll hire the other guy who will, you know, also do this this movie and we'll pay him, you know, whatever. I, I, I think that that kind of thing can be repaired w- w- with bigger checks. Don't uh, and and maybe there Do you think that's just uh, in Hollywood? The, you think that's many, across business? Look, the many many Hollywood stars who are out there listening to this and, and knowing <laughs> how ill-informed that I am about this can write into Chris and say that's absolutely not true. Once our feelings are hurt, we, you know, we'll go work across the street with the Universal. Uh, Radio at fool.com for any Hollywood stars, uh, actors, How big do they writers, need to be to, to write into you on this on this on this topic? How big like, how, how big? Yeah. How big a star? Yeah, like a James Woods. Anyone who or, is or like, um, uh, uh, anyone who has a SAG card. Any, anyone who anyone with a SAG card. Yeah, I, I'm pretty if sure. If anybody out there has a SAG card, I, I would be stunned if any working actor or director in Hollywood is actually listening to Market Foolery on a regular basis. But I'm more than happy to be proven wrong. Radio at fool.com. Is but they could also use this and, and go to Sony and say, look. I need to be paid more. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast, and apparently a, a very prof- my feelings have been hurt, but I am willing to get over that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. I like to think that— um, I'm peacemaking here I between Sony say, and the many stars who, who want to work with Sony and yeah, just have slightly hurt feelings, but money can, money can help out here. All these years, I thought you were just putting your talents to work for shareholders of Motley Fool Funds. And now I like the very real possibility that you're not only paying, uh, playing peacemaker in Hollywood, but that you're also helping some actors get a few extra bucks in their pocket. I, I, <laughs> I serve many masters. <laughs> you can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues. Go to foolfunds.com. You can sign up for Declarations, which is the free monthly newsletter from Motley Fool Funds. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 